So when I have been here, we have been doing this series on the Lord's Prayer, and we have been wondering about what the good Lord is teaching us about prayer uh, as we um, wonder together about our own prayer lives and what it is that we should be bringing before God uh, in our in our prayers. And we started weeks ago taking a look at to pray is to change as we come into this relationship with our Heavenly Father. We know that it's God's desire to actually improve us, to make us better. So to pray is to open ourselves up to changing who we are. And then to pray is to work as we wonder about the kingdom coming and God's will being done. That means we are signing up for participation in that and bringing about the kingdom of God and the will of God. So to pray is to work. And then to pray is to trust uh, to trust that God will provide us our daily bread as we seek to bring about God's kingdom. So to pray is to is to believe that God is going to provide for us. And then to pray is to forgive. We talked about forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so to pray is to sign up again for forgiveness and to ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to forgive those we have the hardest time to forgive as God is as well seeking to forgive us. And then today we're going to take a look at to pray is to examine and to wonder about what it is that God might be seeking to search out in all of us as we seek to understand ourselves better. So to that end, Psalm 139, one of the great prayers of the Bible, which enlightens for us this Opportunity of examination. So hear the word of God. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me, and you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you, for it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me where none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I I try to count them and they are more than the sand. I, I come to the end and I'm still with you. 
Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that your bloodthirsty would depart from me. For those speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And I do not loathe those who rise up against you. I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we ask, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to somehow point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Soren Kierkegaard, the great 19th century Danish philosopher, is purported to have told the story of the farmer who had raised one season a bumper crop and in turn was able to command a great price at the market such that he was left with a larger than usual profit. So he went into town looking forward to buying a new pair of shoes. And after purchasing these new shoes, he realized he still had enough money to buy himself a new pair of pants. And after purchasing the pants, he realized he still had enough money to go on a little drinking spree. So late that night, after drinking too much, the farmer stumbled out of the tavern and decided that he would stretch himself out on the cobblestone lane to sleep things off. Sure enough, a little later, a carriage came bounding down the lane and the driver yelled out to the man, Move yourself or I'll run over your legs. The drunk woke up and looked down at his shoes and his pants and not recognizing them, said, Go ahead, they're not mine anyway. (laughs) Sometimes we just don't know who we are. That may seem in this day and age a strange thesis. For there has there ever been a time when we have had more ability to understand what is going on inside of us? We have CAT scans and MRIs and X-rays and blood tests and scopes and biopsies and a thousand other ways to examine what is going on inside of us. We have this ability to diagnose a million different things that are going on inside of here. And yet the case can be made, can it not, that when it comes to what we most need to understand about ourselves, what we, what we most need to understand, of what is going on inside of us, we are oftentimes, maybe most of the time, fairly clueless. It's like one of my favorite stories, which you've heard me tell before, the man who was concerned that his wife was getting hard of hearing, so he decided to do a little test. When she was sitting in the family room, he snuck up behind her about three paces back and said, can you hear me? No response. So he took a step closer. Can you hear me now? No response. One step closer. Can you hear me now? At which point the wife said, for the third time, yes. (laughs) Sometimes, oftentimes, we don't know who we are. Again, a strange thing to say, since logic would suggest that since we're doing the thinking, since we're doing the feeling, since we're doing the acting, then that would mean that we should pretty much understand who we are. But that's the mystery, right, of being human. 
Because to be human is to be pressed upon by a thousand different voices, past and present, influences that are here to tell you who you are, despite what you might think or feel, despite even the empirical evidence, despite even your own voice of conscience. Culture has its way of convincing us that we need to be some particular kind of person, even when it flies in the face of how we're wired. The psalmist says, it was you, O God, who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Fearfully, he says, fearfully and wonderfully made. Each of us has this wonderful identity with which we were created, and yet it isn't long before we get these messages that seem to suggest something different. And pretty soon we lose we lose touch with ourselves. We don't, we don't know who we are. People take jobs they don't like. They continue in destructive relationships. They chase after empty values. They get drawn toward unhealthy seductions. They grow to think less of themselves because along the way, they've been led further and further away from this identity that was being formed in them from the very beginning. What was it that Will Rogers said? Too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. Sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. Sometimes we can be the ones who tell ourselves the lie. Human beings have this amazing capacity to convince ourselves that we're something that we're not. Years ago, close to 30 years ago, I had convinced myself that what I wanted to do and what I thought God wanted me to do was to start a new church, be a new church development pastor, begin a new Presbyterian church congregation. I thought that would be a neat thing to do, start a new church. My uncle had done it years before. I thought it would be a cool thing. So I went looking for an opportunity, and lo and behold, I got offered a chance, my dream job, and without thinking or much praying, I snatched it. And then all of a sudden, this still small voice began to speak, and with it, a question. Steve, do you think you really like starting a new church? More so, do you think it'd be any good at it? Is that really how you're wired? And the more I thought and the more I listened to the still small voice, the more I realized that I was preparing to make myself pretty miserable. And I walked away. Our biggest blind spot can be ourselves. And our greatest temptation, lead us not into temptation, our greatest temptation toward evil and deliver us from evil is this violation of the knitting together that God did a long time ago in our mother's wombs. John Calvin, the grandfather of Presbyterianism in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, this voluminous attempt to systematize the Christian faith, starts with these words. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. 
Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self, which explains, right, the psalmist's prayer. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high I cannot attain it. You see, to pray is to examine yourself. To pray is to be examined. Because to be human is this great adventure of discovering who we are. It is to have this conversation with God who really searches us, who really knows us. It is to have the silence before God wherein we allow God to tell us things that we are afraid to tell ourselves. And it's not just the bad things, it's the good things, the scary things. And I wonder if maybe God has this dream for us that's even bigger than the dream we have for ourselves, that God has this this grace for us even bigger than the grace we're willing to give ourselves to pray is to allow ourselves to be examined, to pray is to be honest with ourselves. And King David, holy King David, commits adultery and conspires to commit murder. Something in him can't quite see the evil. We see it. We're reading the story. We can see it clear as day. But then, then finally comes David's reckoning and he sees his sin. And in Psalm 51 says, have mercy upon me, O God, because I can see it now. I see the transgression and my sin is before me. And you desire truth in my inward being. To pray is to allow ourselves to be examined, to see the truth. The bad of it, the good of it. Because it's always both. Years ago, I read a little news clip about the Japanese city of Sapporo, which had developed a problem with its subway system. And the problem was that too many people were using the subway system as a means to end their lives, jumping in front of the trains. But then they got the idea to install mirrors in the subway, floor to ceiling mirrors, so that folks could have one last look at themselves before they did the extreme thing. They they had to face themselves the bad and the good. And the city reported no suicides since. Without the knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. And without the knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. Plato, quoting Socrates, said, the unexamined life is not worth living. And don't you wonder if we miss our greatest opportunity to really live when we leave little room for this gentle spirit and voice of God to search us and to know us and to teach us some things about ourselves that may be life changing, that might help us discover who we are, or at least to keep us from fooling ourselves. How can we grow if we first don't understand where we are? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. 
Scott Peck, author of The Road Less Traveled, told of going to hear the great Swiss psychologist and theologian Paul Turnier present a lecture. And when the lecture was over, time was given over for questions. And at one point, a gentleman got up and asked the eminent doctor what he thought about all the hypocrites in the church. And with English not being his first language, Dr. Turnier was not sure what he meant by the word hypocrite. He hadn't heard that word before. And the audience attempted to translate, you know, it means uh, phony, pretending to be something that you're not, inauthentic. And then, ah, oh, the doctor nods his head and says, ah, c'est moi, c'est moi. Did you ever get on the scale in your bathroom and find there a number you didn't like? And did you ever step off and then back on again, hoping the number might have changed? Sometimes we don't want to deal with the truth because the truth is hard to deal with. But Jesus says the truth shall set you free. The cover-up is always worse than the crime. Because you see, in the kingdom of God... Honesty begets grace. Honesty always begets grace. The more honest you are, the more grace you get from God. In fact, it may be the only scale, the only mirror we can ever be safe with is this still small voice of God who is trying to tell us the truth if we'll just invite him to search us and know us. The good, the bad. Because honesty always leads to grace. It may be our greatest chance in getting led from temptation and delivered from evil. Solzhenitsyn, the great Russian writer and dissident, said that when we search for the line between good and evil, we usually look for it either between nations or between political parties or between people. I'm good, you're bad. When actually, he said, the line between good and evil runs through every heart. And when we're honest about that, we're on the road to being led from temptation and delivered from evil. Or like the good old Baptist preacher I heard a long time ago who said that inside every human soul, there are two dogs that get to fighting. Every day, these two dogs get to fighting. One's a good dog and one's a bad dog. And the good dog and the bad dog get to fighting every day. They fight and they fight and they fight. And, and which dog wins, the preacher asked. Which dog wins, the, the good dog or the bad dog? Oh, the dog that wins, the preacher said, is the dog we feed. Lead us not into temptation, Deliver us from evil. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. To pray is to be examined. To 
pray is to discover who we really are. Because sometimes, maybe most of the time, we just don't know which dog we're feeding. 